Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah 6, 1. And as I said before, we're going to talk tonight about God's holiness. And um, many times we have a sermon, and we, like this morning's sermon, we, we want to understand what sin was um, so that we can uh, know our sin and ask forgiveness for our sins. And many times we have sermons that are focused on um, learning how to live as a believer uh, more like Christ would want us to live. Um, But sometimes I think it's important to step back and just have a sermon or a message on on who God is. And so tonight we're going to have a sermon on God's holiness, which I think is, is really an important aspect of God. It's probably the most important aspect of God. And that's why we're having communion after that, because hopefully as we really meditate and think about how holy God is, it will make communion that much more significant, because we are having communion in the presence of a holy God. And Jesus Christ, is, we'll talk about that, is holy also. So, so we'll talk about that. So uh, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And if you could please stand. Um, and again, why do we stand when we read, read God's word? Because we are in the presence of a holy God and it's his holy word. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his head, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, you are a holy God. I know that I can't even comprehend your holiness. Lord, help us tonight as we study your word that we would have a little better understanding of how holy you are. I know we will probably spend eternity truly understanding and probably never will fully understand your holiness, Lord. Lord, but I ask that you would just guide us tonight and help us to understand a little bit better your holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have the call of Isaiah the prophet, and he is called to serve the Lord. And and we know a lot about Isaiah. He wrote um, the book of Isaiah and he prophesied. Um, But this is when God called him. And and we look at this this Isaiah chapter 6, 
it gives, it gives us the time when he was called, but it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, which sets the time, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So we don't know whether Isaiah had a dream, a vision, he was actually in the presence of the Lord. But we get a, a, a glimpse of God's holiness through this, his encounter with the Lord. So the first thing we see in, this, in verse 1 here is that um, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. So what's wrong with that? Um, hold your place here and turn to... Or, I'll, I'll read there. You don't have to turn there, but if you would like to turn there, it might be helpful. Look at Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Um, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And this was when Moses was up on the mountain um, getting the Ten Commandments the second time. Um, but he was getting the Ten Commandments. And it says, And Moses said to the Lord, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So he asked to see the glory of God in, in, in Exodus thirty-three eighteen. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So, Moses had a special relationship with God. Um, he was able to be in the presence of God. Right? And then, uh, in verse 21, <clears throat> in verse 20, and he said, Thou canst not see me face my face, for thou shalt no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will that I'll put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I'll take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but thy face shall not be seen. <clears throat> Moses, who had this really, really close relationship with the Lord, was privileged, and nobody else had this privilege, to see God. But he didn't see God's face. He saw God's what? Back. And remember when Moses came down, that his face shined so much that people couldn't even look at his face. And they had to put a screen above in front of his face because he saw the glory of the Lord. And so, when we go back to Isaiah chapter 6, and it says that Isaiah saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne and lifted up, and the train filled the temple. Clearly, what God was doing with Isaiah, and he did this, I think, a lot, is he presented himself in this vision, or whatever it was that Isaiah saw, in a way that Isaiah could see what God's glory is. But, but even here, God's true glory would have been too great for Isaiah to see. So his glory was so great that, that, that God made this vision showing, that, that showing the Lord sitting upon a throne. But God's glory is so much greater than that. that he, I think he did this for Isaiah so that he could actually survive and see this. So, so, so the first thing we see is that God's glory and God's holiness are beyond 
human comprehension. And I think in the book of Isaiah, he, he made this in a way that we can comprehend it, that Isaiah could comprehend it and we can comprehend it. But I think the real glory of the God is more like what Moses did, where the God is so glorious that you can't even be in his presence and even see God. Right? And Moses saw us back. So the first thing we, we, we see here is that as much as Isaiah describes God as glorious and holy, this description is really inadequate. God did this for our purpose so that we can understand what, what, it, what it sees. But it, because it would be so much greater than this. So the first thing we see is God is high, lifted up, his train filled the temple. <clears throat> so God is this glorious God. Then, and, and again, I really believe that, that he just did this vision so we can see God's glory, but we're really not seeing the true glory of God because the true glory of God, Moses couldn't even see, and he saw the back and his face shined. Okay, in verse 2, Above it, it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. So he had six wings. He Two covers his face, two covers his feet, and the other two he uses to fly. Now, a seraphim, the only place it's mentioned in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, and the second place it's mentioned is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. So it's only mentioned in Isaiah. So, we know what is a seraphim. It's um, it's it's an angelic being. It also could be translated a fiery serpent. Um, we don't know a lot about him, but there's some kind of angelic being. Um, but <clears throat> if this was an angelic being, like any other angel, what's he doing? Why do you need six wings? You only need two to fly. Right, every bird that you find, how many birds have six wings? Right? Because he was in the presence of God, he had to cover what? His face. You see that? Because of God's holiness, he had to cover his face and he had to cover his feet. And so we can get a glimpse too here of God's holiness because this seraphim, this, this flying serpent or angelic being, um, we're not sure exactly what it is, in the presence of God, God actually created him with extra wings so he could cover his face and his feet from God's presence. And so, and this angelic being, like, do angels sin? Well, there are fallen angels who have sinned under Satan, but the rest of the angels in the presence of God have not sinned. And so, this angelic being doesn't even have any sin. And he has to cover his face in the presence of God. So, I think as we look at this, we get a a better glimpse of how holy God really is. Even this perfect angelic being has to what? Cover his face in the presence of God. Okay. And then the seraphim in verse 3. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory. Now, many times in the Bible, they repeat something several times for what? For emphasis, right? Um, And that's a way that the Bible does it to emphasize something that's really important. When Jesus talked to Peter about denying Him, and He said, 
um, um, when Jesus, uh, when Peter was, when Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, feed my sheep, how many times did he say it? Three times, right? Because it was important. And so when we see this, how many times does he say, holy? Three times. Holy, holy, holy. So God is not just holy. God is holy, holy, holy. To emphasize God's holiness. And so we can see here that, that, that this angelic being is really emphasizing God's holiness. And you know, God's holiness is his greatest attribute. Okay? And then look what he says. Is the Lord of hosts, speaking of God, the whole earth is full of his glory. That you realize that everything God made, in Romans 1.20, everything God made reveals his holiness. Now, we see it corrupted by sin, but the whole creation, the whole, the whole earth is full of his glory, that we can see God's glory in all things. You know? And so God is really glorious. And then look what happens in verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. When this angelic being said, Holy, 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 the whole world is filled with the glory of God. It was so mighty that there was an earthquake, right? And there was smoke. And the whole house where the throne was, was filled with smoke. So we can get a glimpse of God's glory, but, but as much as we can get a glimpse of God's glory here, we have to realize, I believe, that God has given us this, this, this vision so that we can understand it. But I think his, his glory is even much greater than this vision. Right? And so he comes up with this most glorious thing, this king sitting there on the throne. But I think God's glory is even beyond that. Um, then, look at Isaiah's reaction. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. I believe that the glory of God, when we are in the presence of God, the glory of God is going to be so glorious, the natural response is what? Woe is me. I am undone. And why? It says, he says, um, I dwell in the midst of a people of un- uh, uh, because, I, because I am a man of unclean lips. What does that mean? I'm a sinner. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So, what's Isaiah saying here? I'm a sinner. But even if I'm not a sinner, I dwell in a people. My Adam and Eve sinned, and I have a sin nature. You see that here? It says, he says, I, I, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. But even if for some reason I wasn't a sinner, which is impossible... I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Adam and Eve, we have a sinful nature. We're all sinners. And so, it's not like he's standing there saying, you know, well, I'm a really righteous guy. He's saying, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And again, he's in the presence of God. He sees God. And he sees God's holiness. And the 
first reaction is, woe is me. Right? Woe is me. And you know what? You can look at other people in the Bible who have similar visions and their first reaction is, woe is me. Right? And, you know, well, we're going to talk about this in coming. When we get to heaven, our reaction is going to be, woe is me. But the good news is we have Jesus Christ. Um, but then it says in verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. So there's, they, they're, they're, the seraphim comes and takes a tongue, a, a live coal, uh, taken from the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And that idea there is the sin is taken away, is it's removed, it's, 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 it's taken away, and then the idea that sin is purged, it's, it's reconciled, canceled, forgiven, put off. And we always talk about analogies of Jesus Christ, descriptions of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And we don't talk about the, the live coal from the altar. But that's another analogy of Jesus Christ because who takes away the sin? Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, there's many things that talk about that in the Old Testament, but the, the, this, this coal um, was, was, was to do that. What, what had, the same, had the same effect as Jesus Christ did. And I think it's a symbol of Jesus. And then in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. And this is another thing that's the natural response. So, Isaiah sees the holiness of God, God's glory, God's holiness. The first response is, woe is me. And then, the response is, God takes away his sin. And then the next response is always, I want to serve you, Lord. That's the, that's the natural response when somebody gets in the presence of God. It's woe is me when God forgives their sin. It's like, God, what do, I, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything. Right? And as a matter of fact, um, that, that, that theme, um, I, I, I use this verse a lot, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I've used that and I like using that verse. That's one of the verses I like to use um, to try to talk to people about salvation, right? Through, for by grace are you saved through faith. You're saved through God's grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a free gift. It's offered freely. Not of works, least any man should boast. It's not anything I've done. So salvation is a free gift. And then I stop and talk to a person about their salvation. And hopefully, if they get saved, then I give them verse 10. Right? And what does verse 10 says? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, the natural response to our salvation and cleanse from our sin is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, what, what thing you do? Not to earn my salvation, but to do what? 
to, to honor God and work for God because I understand His holiness. So that's a, a, a theme there. So, let's look at, um, let's look at uh, an example of this. And I, I hope as I go through this, it'll help give us a little comprehension of how holy God is. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And um, Matthew 17 is the transfiguration. And at the transfiguration, Jesus, the glory, Jesus' glory was revealed. Now, Jesus is God. And God is holy, and Jesus is holy. Which is, just, just think about this for a second. The holy God came down to earth to live among sinners, to save us. This is the holy, perfect God, right? So, in the transfiguration, it says, um, in Matthew 17, verse 1, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John. And what's significant about that? There were twelve apostles, 12 disciples, and Peter, James, and John were like the ones he was the closest to, the inner circle, you could say. Um, He had the closest relationship with them. So after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John. He didn't take the other nine. He just took those three, his brother, and bringeth them up into the high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So what happens? We see the glory of God, His holiness, right? And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. So, Peter, James, and John saw the glory of God. So let's, we're going to focus a little bit on John. So John sees His glory. Now turn, go forward to John chapter 13. Um, John chapter 13. And John chapter 13 is when they were at the Last Supper. And Jesus was with his disciples. And in John 13, verse 23, um, you know, just, we'll just bump back to 21. John chapter 13, verse 21. When Jesus had, said that, had, had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So he's talking about Judas is going to betray him. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And we know who that was. That was John. And why did he say it was the disciple whom Jesus loved? Because John wrote the book of John and he didn't want to say his own name. right? So John is sitting there. And look what it says here. Um... um there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. He was like leaning against Jesus. Right? Simon, there, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And then Jesus answers and tells him who it is. And, he, and, and Jesus answered, He it is who, whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So, as we look at John, 
we see that John had a very close relationship with Jesus. He was sitting at the Last Supper right next to Jesus, leaning on Jesus. When Jesus was going to reveal who was going to portray him, he didn't tell all 12. Who did he tell? John. So, John and Jesus were best friends. Right? John saw the transfiguration. He was in the inner circle. He has the best friend. Now, turn to Revelation chapter 1. Right? And um, we look at Revelation chapter 1. Now, remember, the relationship that John had with Jesus, very close, intimate relationship, best friends, right? So, in John chap- Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, and we know that John wrote the book of Revelation. Um, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of trumpet. So John was in the Spirit. He's on the island of Patmos. He's, he's there. And the voice says to him, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to me unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, into Smyrna, into Pergamos, into Thyatira, into Sardis, and into Philadelphia, and into Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and a white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Sounds like the transfiguration, right? And his feet like unto fine brass, and as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in the strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John had a close relationship with Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus in the transfiguration. He was the disciple with Jesus at the Last Supper. When he saw Christ in his glory, what did John do? Did he say, hey, Jesus, how you doing? Not at all. He, what does it say? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He was so blown away by the glory of God, Jesus. His reaction was like, fall on his face. He fell on his face as if he was dead. Right? And then the good news is, if I continue it, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. Do you realize, when we get to heaven, we all, we all talk about it, and it's like, you know, when I get to heaven, we just like, go to Jesus and give him a big hug, right? And, and you've heard, how many times have you heard people say that, right? I don't think so. I think you're going to go to heaven and your first reaction is, woe is me. Now, the good news is, you're saved. And Jesus is going to come just like he did to John and he's going to lift you up and you're going to be fine. And you know what? Those that aren't saved, they're going to say the same thing, woe is me. And you know what? Woe is them. Right? But I don't think, when we get to heaven, when we get in the presence of God and we're with Jesus, if John had that reaction, and John was much closer to Jesus than we are, 
right? He, phys he was physically with Jesus. He saw him transfigured. I think that's going to be our natural reaction. And the good news is, uh, I think it's going to be short-lived. But I think that's going to be our natural reaction. Is like, woe is me, right? And so, I think this helps us to really understand the holiness of God. God's holiness is beyond... The Bible... I believe the Bible cannot adequately express God's holiness because it's written for us humans and our mind cannot comprehend the holiness of God. I think when Moses wanted to see God and God said, you'll see my back, um, I think that's all he could handle. And I think Moses was a special, special person to do that. When I think of Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these other prophets that were called, I think God presented himself in a way that would be demonstrate his holiness, but like make it acceptable. And then I think when John um, actually saw the risen Savior, and, he, and remember, he had seen the risen Savior before he, he went up to heaven, and he'd seen the transfigured Savior, but when he actually saw um, his, the Savior, he was like, you know, fell on his face as if he was, you know, you know, fell on his face as I fell at his feet as dead. So, what does this have to do with communion? Okay, so tonight we're going to have communion, and I think what we really need to focus on. And sometimes I think that when we have communion, I know myself, I don't. I, I really try to make it a solemn, holy time. But I think it's really important for us to realize when we have communion that we are in the presence of God. Now, let's, let's look at, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11. And this verse um, is, is a great verse, and we use this um, quite often. There's probably three or four verses we use most of the time when we have communion. But um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29, I'm just going to read that um, quickly. And this is, you're familiar with this. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cups. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the, this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat the bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let every man... Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, we serve a holy God. God is holy. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is holy. Jesus did not sin. And I have a bunch of verses where I don't want to run out of time. I could go through those. Jesus did not sin. Okay? We are holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, God is holy. 
Jesus Christ is holy. He was sinless and He's holy. And we are holy, not because of anything we do or deserve, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are holy. And so when we take communion, we are taking communion to remember what Jesus Christ did, who is holy God, and we are holy. Now, he gives us a warning in the communion. And again, this is not to frighten us. It's just to help us to prepare for communion. Because when we take communion, we want to be holy before the Lord. And it says in verse 28, or verse 27, Wherefore, wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the bloody and blood of the Lord. We tell people, they can come to our church, and if you're a born-again believer, we have an open communion. <clears throat> but, if you do it unworthily, you're not a believer. You're going to be, and it says about damned, right? So, that's the first thing. And then in verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. What does that mean to examine yourself? It says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthy, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So, the warning is, we are holy before God. But, we become, if we have unconfessed sin, what happens? It separates us from God. But, that sin needs to be dealt with. And we need to ask forgiveness and repent of that sin. And that means that when we ask forgiveness, we ask God's forgiveness. And then when we repent, we, we, we ask God to enable us to not sin in that way again. And even though we may sin that way again, we have a, the full desire or the full intent of not sinning again. It's not like, like I'm, 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 I'm going to repent and cross my fingers behind my back, right? It's not that at all. And so... What he says here is that when we take communion, we are holy, but it's such a solemn time and we're, in, and we're remembering what Jesus did on the cross that we need to examine ourselves and if we have any known sin, again, it's not like, well, maybe there's some unknown sin I have. I don't want to take communion. No, it's a known sin. You know you have a sin. And this morning we talked about having a clear conscience, right? So, the whole idea is any known, unconfessed sin I need to, to deal with before my communion. And I just need to ask God's forgiveness. And <clears throat> I need to be living a holy, righteous life. And again, I can't do that. But the Holy Spirit in me enables me to do that. And I need to be living a holy, right, righteous life. Um, and what does that mean? I need to be living in the covenant. I need to be part of the New Testament or the New Covenant. I need to be a believer. I should be part of a local church. I might be, I might be in, the, in, in, you know, in a situation where I can as a missionary where there is no local church. But if there's a local church, I should be part of a local church. I should be serving God in good works because that's the natural response to God's holiness. I should be doing some serving of the Lord. And so, communion is a holy event where we spend time with Jesus, remembering what he did, and examining our compliance to his covenant. Right? 
So it's not just remembering him on the cross, which is really a big part of communion. A lot of times I like to think about Jesus on the cross. But it's also examining ourselves and, and, and looking at how well am I complying with his covenant, the things he wants me to do, to be righteous, to, to, to ask forgiveness for my sin, to be part of a local church. And so he wants to examine ourselves. And then when we do that, when we examine ourselves, and we realize that we're following God's covenant in the New Testament, or the, and the Testament covenant, I said, is the same. When we're doing that, then we're in a situation where we're prepared for communion. And so I would challenge you tonight, we're going to have communion in a couple minutes, that I would challenge yourself, your, your, yourselves to really examine yourself and to really consider that communion is a holy time, that you're remembering what a holy God did for you on the cross and that you want to examine yourself to, to, to ensure that you're complying with the new covenant, the new testament. Let's pray. Lord, we really don't, I don't really totally understand your holiness. I think it's beyond our comprehension. I think we'll spend much of eternity learning and understanding how holy you are. And Lord, it's, it's mind-boggling to think that your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, perfect Lamb of God, perfectly holy. In the transfiguration, they, they saw His holiness. When John was on the island of Patmos, they saw His holiness and His glory. To think that, that you came down and you lived with sinners. I don't know how you did it, Lord. And that you ask us now, as we go into communion, to put in to remember what you did on the cross. And you ask us to examine ourselves because we want to come before you. When we come in your presence, we need to be holy. And we're not holy. We're only holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we have unconfessed sin and when we violate your covenant, and we're not really following you, Lord. We're not holy. But through your love and mercy, Lord, we just need to ask forgiveness for our sin. And through your blood, we are forgiven and we are holy. Lord, we just thank you that we can have this communion time, that we can just examine ourselves and to really dedicate ourselves to you and follow your covenant, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, Dave, you want to lead the song, singing? And for the communion hymn, what we're going to sing is Holy, Holy, Holy. And I thought that was fitting tonight since we're focused on God's holiness.